Well, good morning. This is the latest of the ASA podcasts, and just as soon as I said good morning, I realized you could be listening at any point in the day, but it's morning for me, so here we go. A little bit of an odd one today. There's no one topic that sort of jumped out as a focus for this particular podcast, but I've got some interesting ones coming up. I've got several questions that are probably going to be best answered in a longer format like the webinars. So questions like what are the most significant economic challenges facing our country today? What's my opinion on the current state of the economy, etc.? I'm going to hit those when I've got a little bit more leeway and I can show charts and graphs. So I'm probably not going to do them on the podcast. So today couple of things just because it's top of mind and it's the sort of stuff that's rolling around through the global economy. We're not quite sure what any of this means yet. Obviously, the big news coming out of Russia is Putin's revenge. And this is not unexpected. Um, I don't want to beat this to death, but I'm still at heart a cold warrior. I still have my training from being prepared to be a Soviet analyst back in the 80s. And I'm surprised it took this long, to be honest. Um, Prigozhin was very definitely on the wrong side when it comes to Putin's loyalty. Uh, and the one thing that Putin has always emphasized is you follow me or you pay. So Prigozhin wasn't following, so he was killed. And this it's kind of a mixed bag as far as what it means to Putin because on the one hand it certainly strengthens him this is the elimination of somebody that had openly challenged him the Wagner group was not necessarily a daily threat uh, to what was going on in Russia but it was certainly an alternative so it strengthens Putin in the sense that if anybody else was thinking about trying to challenge him, well, now they know what's going to happen to them. They're going to be assassinated. They're going to be killed. It also, though, weakens him because it it puts everything kind of in, in a much more desperate state. I mean, this is a man that is now looking a little crazed and desperately trying to hang on to what is a faltering economy, a definitely faltering military approach to Ukraine. So personally, this makes me more than a little nervous because this is the kind of stuff that, well, if things go even worse for Vlad, does he turn to nuclear weapons? Does he escalate the conflict? Does he do something truly radical? And the chances are that he could. I mean, this is this is a man that's in some respects spinning out of control. Anyone who is around him now had better be intensely worried about their own future. So it's kind of a it's it's too reminiscent of some of the years past when things were virtually out of control in the old Soviet Union. So the other thing, much more domestic, and just to kind of bring it up because it's been a kind of a variation on the theme that we've been talking about for years, the labor shortage. There's suddenly a lot of trepidation when it comes to hiring, and you're seeing an awful lot of companies backing off when it comes to hiring the new graduates coming out of college. And this has not been the case for several years. I mean, it was last year alone that 
the rate of people being snapped up as soon as they graduate was very high. I mean, companies were desperate for workers, etc. This year, you're seeing a lot of pullback, and schools are becoming worried about it. The students are worrying about it. You're seeing fewer and fewer uh, institutions showing up to do job fairs. You're basically seeing caution when it comes to college graduates. Now, there's three reasons that have been suggested for this, and and two of them are somewhat familiar. Number one is that these companies are a little concerned about what is laying ahead. They know that we've thus far escaped recession, so that's good news, but we're also not seeing particularly robust growth. So these companies are like, well, I don't really need to expand right now, and maybe I just wait and see. Number two, and this is something that we've been seeing develop for quite a while, they're not very happy with what's coming out of the colleges. And where we see the worker demand is for different kinds of workers. And obviously, this is kind of right where ASA lives. I mean, the ASA companies may be still recruiting from the college ranks, but mostly it's like we need people with skills. We need people with manufacturing skills, with construction skills, with skills that are related to our industry. We are not seeing those from the university and college system. What we're seeing is a lot of students coming out with these kind of amorphous, I don't know quite what you learned degrees. And well, it's hard to market those. And you're running into a lot of students who are like, well, you know, I got this great degree in underwater English literature and I can't find a job. It's like, well, yeah, that's, uh, could have been expected. And the third thing that's motivating the slowdown in hiring is essentially worrying about wages. And companies are trying to control their labor costs. And they're doing that primarily by looking kind of elsewhere than those traditional pipelines. When you hire somebody out of college, there's kind of an expectation as to what they're going to be paid. And there's a desire now to sort of break that that trend to a degree and find different ways to hire people, maybe promote from within, maybe do some more internal training, looking into even things like bringing people over from other countries. I mean, there's an awful lot of reactions trying to figure out how to control labor supply. It isn't that a college graduate can't find work at all, but they're finding it harder and they're probably getting a little bit less aggressive offers when it comes to both their potential for promotion and their pay. One last thing to talk about, and then we'll leave it for this week, is the commentary that's coming from some of the Fed officials about what they do next with interest rates. Susan Collins out of the Boston Fed has been talking quite recently about the fact that we still haven't reached the point where we feel comfortable, we being the Fed, with the current inflation rate. I mean, remember that the Fed is looking at different numbers than perhaps the press does. The press looks at CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which has fallen, but still not to the point that that would be in the comfort zone for the Fed. But the Fed looks at PCE, personal consumption expenditure, 
and that has definitely not fallen. It's still up around four, four and a half percent. Now it may have come down, but as I've pointed out before, the PCE lags. The Fed is still dealing with May and June data. So they're not going to know whether inflation came down in June, July, or August for another month or so. This is data that's based on what actually we spent and what we actually spent money on. And it takes a while for that data to be collected. So the Fed is still leaving out the possibility of another quarter point increase probably later in the year. So... Even though we have seen inflation come down, even though the recession threat is diminished, there's still concern that the economy in some respects is overheated, predominantly looking at the job market, and that leaves the potential for a rate hike. So we can't dismiss it altogether, not yet, but it's perhaps getting a little bit closer to the Fed taking a breather. If you are paying attention, the Jackson Hole meetings are going on right now. Speeches from the various central bankers will be held this week. And I'll probably talk about that more next week once all the speeches are done. So thank you. And that's my rambling for this week. And we'll do it again next week.